All right, when you've been sufficiently hugged and holy kissed, you can sit down. <laughs> Before I get to the sermon today, let me, let me kind of um, give you another principle about how God has tied um, our heartstrings and our spiritual condition to our giving. You know, I left off this for a while and a couple of you reminded me I need to get back on it. And so, so let me give you another principle today. And, and by the way, have you noticed uh, our total for our, for our offering? For the first time in my memory, we are going into the summer in a surplus. Yeah. This is my happy dance. Now that's for $2,000. If we get $100,000 ahead, I'll do the stinking river dance up here. And if we get $500,000, I call out Vernon and Tim, we'll become the Rockettes up here. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Okay, so here's what we do. We, we, we're going to uh, some, of the, some of the initial um, um, scriptures that are listed in the chapters of this book, uh, Finding Financial Freedom, written by our own... Um, Howard Dayton, and as part of our First Principles Discipleship Series. And so in the second week, the, the scripture comes from First Chronicles, and this is it. First Chronicles 29, this is today's Living Bible. Yours is the mighty power and glory and victory and majesty. Talking to God, this is a prayer. Everything in the heavens and earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as being in control of everything. Riches and honor come from you alone. And you are the ruler of all mankind. Your hand controls power and might. And it is at your discretion that men and women are made great and given strength. Principle of the week. It's all God's. And as soon as we can... When, try this exercise this week. Tell, tell your friend or tell your spouse or tell your family, whoever, I'm going to go out and get God's car. Because the car in your garage, that's God's. Or I'm, I'm going to go in and, and put on uh, God's clothes. Because in your closet, those are God's clothes. Um, by the way, that's not your closet, that's God's closet. You get the idea here? And you're putting it on God's body because he owns, he owns us too. He owns everything. Once we fathom that, two things happen. This is really cool. First of all, if we lose a lot of money, it's like, wasn't mine anyhow. It was God's. If we gain a lot of money, we don't get too excited because not mine anyhow. It's God's. And so, and so it kind of makes, it kind of evens life out and puts puts all the financial struggles we seem to have in proper perspective, as well as managing not only that portion we give specifically to the building of his kingdom through the church, but manage all the rest of it. But here's the other thing, just keeping that in mind, and it mixes very well with today's sermon. It gives us all an accurate idea that God is not after our money, he's after our life. And he made us that we would give our life to him and we'll be satisfied with nothing less. Let me tell you where we are right now in the preaching series. I, I, I began this year by saying, I believe that God wants this 
to be the best year you've ever lived in your life, regardless of your circumstances. Your circumstances should never determine your happiness. Your circumstances, your life is about more than your circumstances. And so I believe God wants this to be the best year of our life, but in order for it to be that, we've got to live a different year than we've ever lived in our lives, or we'll just have the same year we used to have. And the different year is this, that we as people of God are being transformed by Christ into a church that busts through the powers of hell in our life. Jesus himself said that, on you I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There's a lot of hell in the world. There's a lot of hell in your life and God wants to bust it up and replace it with heaven. Now in order to do that, he forms disciples. He makes disciples and we're going through a discipleship series and will for years to come. Remember the first part of the series. We have a message. A disciple has a message. And our message is this. And a message isn't just to tell. A message is to live. That on the cross, Jesus Christ nullified the penalty and power of sin in your life. And gave you salvation as a gift if you'll accept it. And when he was resurrected, he brought us new life. A brand new life. After we die in, in, in the normal events of life, a little bit of us dies. He says, that's all right. Got new life for you. After we sin, that's all right. Got a new life for you. And so we're being trained. This is the second component into living that resurrected life. We've got to be trained because we've been trained in how to live according to the world. And that's not very satisfying. As a matter of fact, that really drags you down. But it's God himself who is transforming us. We don't have to try, we have to trust. We have to trust. And then God gives us enough power to manage our lives, but not to manage everybody else's life. There's a wonderful freedom in not trying to manage everybody else's life. You know, you're in control of your life, and the greatest thing you can do in this world is to live a life of example. And so with that, we come into this part of the series called Belonging to a Family of Families. Because that's the last component of becoming a disciple. We belong to a spiritual family. Some of them know us personally. And if you don't have somebody like that who's, who's, who's of your faith, who, who will be a part of sustaining you and growing you in Christ, we want to get, get that for you. That's called a distributed church. All right, we want to get you a part of a distributed church or a family who knows you, who will have your back, who will encourage you, who will develop you in Christ. We, we want that for you. Everybody needs that. But then the larger family is the, the, the Northland. The, you know, we're a family of families here. And Northland is a part of the larger family, which is the church universal. And so that's what we're going through now. He organizes us as a family, as I said. And this belonging to a family of families, this is where we're at today. And, and this is why I, I think that, that first scripture is so relevant. It says there are two types of, of, of household texts in the New Testament. One applies to the family or the people inside your dwelling place. All right? And one applies to the church. 
This is called the pastoral epistles. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus are the pastoral epistles. He's writing to pastors. Timothy was a pastor. Titus was a pastor. And he's saying, here's how to organize the church like a family. And so he's talking in terms of elders and deacons, but he's also talking in terms of older men and older women and younger men and younger women and, and servants. But mostly he's talking to Timothy. And he's not just talking to Timothy as in, this is what I tell all the pastors. He's talking to him very personally. Watch this. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, it says this. For the reason I left you in Crete was that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I have directed you. In other words, he's supposed to set the church in order. And Now watch. In, in, in Titus chapter 2, verse 1, this is what he says. Remember when your mama used to be on a tirade? Sometimes, sometimes your mama would just, just start giving admonition to everybody that was around. And then she'd stop. And she'd turn and she'd look at you. And she'd say, and as for you, young lady, or as for you, young man. That's exactly what, what Paul is doing here for Titus. This is how he starts it out. But as for you, here's what I want you to hear when I preach. I'm not preaching to a thousand people. God's speaking to you. Every time I open my mouth, I want you to hear God saying, but as for you, because this is a personal instruction that the Holy Spirit is delivering to you. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting sound doctrine. Now what this says, as you go on, it means transform your life so that you are the living word. Transform your life so that you are the living word. Let me show you something in, in Matthew chapter 25. This is really important. Because this is the most, you know, I, I preach to you from the written word. But what is important is that the written word become the living word. That we demonstrate actually what this says. Yesterday when I drove into this church... I, I, I tell you, I, I just drove into the living word. It says in Matthew chapter 25, verse 34. This is Jesus talking. Then I, the king, shall say to those at my right hand, come blessed of my father into the kingdom prepared for you. This is the last judgment now. The from the founding of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. Now stop right there. I drove into this place, and guess what we were doing? But can I just say this to you? Everybody, I keep hearing people on TV ask, why would someone sign up for ISIS? Why would someone give their lives to such a dastardly, evil, just fraction or disfigurement of a religion like that? And not only just do it here in this country, but go over the Middle East and want to join ISIS. I can answer that question. I can answer that question. Because we were made for more than just to believe in a religion. We were made to give our whole lives sacrificially to the work of God. Now you either do that in a good way or you do it in a bad way. 
But you were made not to be satisfied with just believing in a religion. You were made to give yourself to something that means something, going to make a difference. Give yourself to the work of God your whole life. Your choice is which part of that are you going to do? Which type of religion are you going to do? Which type of life are you going to give your life to? You see, the meals we were preparing yesterday went to people not of your faith. In Nepal, they're mostly Buddhist. They weren't us. If you go to join ISIS, you see somebody who's not in your faith, you kill them. If you follow Christ, you see someone who's not in your faith, you feed them. That's the difference. You gotta choose. You gotta choose. And watch this, it wasn't just us. You know, 25% of the people, of the probably 2,000 people who packed those 330,000 meals yesterday, probably 25% were from the community. This isn't a church thing. This isn't a rah-rah for Northland thing. This was a community effort. There were Buddhists helping pack those meals. There were Muslims helping pack those meals. There were people wandering in from the street, probably didn't believe anything else. You know, the great thing about following Jesus is that it's not just those who follow Jesus, but we open the floor to anybody who wants to do what Jesus would do. That was the great thing about that. But you see the difference between hate and love. You see the difference between tearing down and building up. And this is what Jesus is talking about. I was hungry and you fed me. Yesterday you did that. You became the word. You became the word incarnate. I was a stranger and you invited me into your homes. This is another thing I saw when I drove into the church yesterday. We have buddy break here. You know what buddy break is? It's for all these families that struggle with disabilities. And there are all these kids that really struggle with significant, sometimes socially unacceptable disabilities. You know there's an entire population in this community that virtually remains invisible because their parents can't take them out because they're afraid that they will make other people uncomfortable. They're afraid that they will be embarrassed. They're afraid. But this is what you say. You're a stranger, bring them here. This is your home. We want you, we value you. You are perfect just like you are. You are the word lived. That's the word. I was sick and in prison and you visited me. Those of you in prison right now, the three, this, this happened last night, five prisons online, three online today. You look there. You don't just have visitors. You have folks who are helping you build the church in prison. It's even better. You are the word of God incarnate. You prisoners that are following Christ, who are building the church in prison, you are 
the word that people see. And so when it talks in here about becoming conformed to sound doctrine, it's not just getting your minds right. It's living a power that God wants you to give your life to because you're way too important just to believe something different. God wants to make a difference in this world as he busts up hell. Well, it goes on from there. And it talks about the importance of understanding that at this stage of life, your life is not just for you. Now, that's a pretty important, that's a pretty important um, lesson to be learned by anybody. By the way, nobody taught us that better than our mothers. Didn't your mother just say, hey, it's not about you, Charlie. Sorry, sorry you're feeling it, but, but it, it, ain't like, it ain't about you. I mean, even when it came, and this is where this is ultimately going, because the church is to be the church, not just for the church, but to the community. The community. And it's important, the impression we make. Didn't your mother say, now when you were going someplace, didn't your mother tell you to put something on in case you were in an accident? You remember this? Yeah. Didn't your mother, you got clean underwear on? Why would you ask that? Because you might be in an accident. In other words, if you go to the hospital, I don't want the doctors to say, whose kid is this? They have dirty underwear on. Seriously, you know, it was all about what the doctors thought in case we got in an accident. That was our mama, you know? They taught us how. Our, our mothers taught us some practical things of wisdom. Just, just you know, don't, don't make a bad impression on people. Don't let people think you're an idiot. Our mother used to say stuff like, like Sam Levison used to say, you know, it's easy to be wise. Just think of something stupid to say and then don't say it. <laughs> Our mothers used to taught us and teach us things like that. You see, it's, it's, it's not about who we are, although we're going to get into that scripture in just a moment, just, just who we are to become. It's who are to be, we to become for. And it's not just the people in this household. It's not just the people in our group. It's for people who are looking us at us to say, what's that about? I heard a story one time about this, this, these two people on a cruise ship and they're, they're talking at the, at the railing and, and, uh, and, and one's a passenger and one's a, uh, a ship steward. I mean, he, he's, he's, he's staff on the cruise ship. And, and they're sitting along, they're talking, you know, and the guy looks out, the passenger looks out and he sees this guy on a desert island. And he's, he's, he's in rags and his beard's long and, and, and he's skinny and, 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 and he's, he's seeing the ship and he's just jumping up and down and waving his arms desperately and shouting desperately. And the, and the passenger looks at the ship steward and says, who is that? And the ship steward says, I have no idea, but every year when, the, when our cruise ship passes, he just goes nuts. I feel kind of like that's what the church has become. This kind of cruise ship that kind of wants to make everybody comfortable. And there's a world desperate for rescue. But we can't figure out why they're jumping and shouting and going nuts. We just, we just want to call them nuts. No. This says we're here for them. We're here for them. 
Let me read down just some of these passages in, 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 in Titus chapter 2. It says, older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible. That'd be people my age. Sound in faith and love and perseverance. Now, you would think that by this time, you know, by older, older guys, that we would know what we're doing. No, we have to be instructed. You know, old age has its own temptations. We can be caustic and cynical and dismissive and all that kind of stuff. We, we, you know, so they just say, you know, don't, don't. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips or enslaved to much wine. <laughs> now, let me tell you about Crete. He's writing, to, he's, he's writing to people who are on the island of Crete. This is not a gender admonition. This is a cultural admonition. Because Crete was known for women who gossiped all the time, drunk. And what this is saying is, don't buy into the values of the culture that surrounds you. That's simply what it's saying. Why? Because you are being observed, not just by the culture, but by the people within your own church who look up to you. And those of you with some experience in this will always have someone learning from you. Whatever you're doing, they will learn. If it's bad, they will learn bad. If it's good, they will learn good. You got to decide this. You are observed way more than you think you are. You are way more important than you think you are. It goes on. Young women, encourage them, train them to love their husbands and their kids and be sensible, kind. And then young men, sensible. That word sensible just has some common sense, will you? And show yourself to an example of good deeds and purity and doctrine. And then, and then this bond slaves or servants, you're just as much a part of the family as everybody else is. They, could, they didn't get rid of the institution of slavery as we are still trying to do today with human trafficking. We are still against this. And we, we are going to eradicate this. But the point is that they were just as valuable to the household as anybody else. They're addressed in here like everybody. They weren't dismissed. They were as important as anyone else in that household. And they say, so don't be argumentative and, and showing all good faith. Now, I want, to, I want to show you why. In scripture, there's always a so that. There's, it's not just you got to be this type of person. There's a reason for it. And in this scripture, there are three so that's. Let me tell you what they are. It says, first of all, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. That's in verse 5. In verse 8 it says, So that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. The word, listen, if you're doing anything at all, you're going to be criticized. Have, have you, do you understand that? If no one criticizes you, it's because you're not doing anything. I got to tell you that. If, if everybody loves you, it's because you're not doing anything that's going to make any difference. We, there's, a, there's, a, there's a law of physics that is, that is socially applicable also. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. If you're not getting some bad press, that means you're, you're, 
Not doing enough to get bad press. You know, you're, you're not, so, so it says the world is going to be looking at you. What's wrong with them? A church that makes a difference, people are going to be saying, oh, they're imposing their morality and their bigots and their blah, 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 blah. Okay? That's all right. That's all right. Because if they look at us and what we're doing is loving and serving and lifting up and paying attention to people that nobody else is paying attention to, let them say what they will. They won't have anything really bad to say about that because all that's good stuff. And that's what this is saying. In verse 10, it says this, so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Now, let me tell you where all this is going, where all this leads to. 2 Corinthians 3.2 says this. It says, you yourselves are our letter. Now, what did I just say? I said that there's the written word of God, but the real goal here is for the written word of God to transform us into the living word of God, the embodied word of God. And that's what Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. You yourselves. No, no. He's writing it to the church at Northland. The church at Northland. Not Northland geographically. Northland in our family. You yourselves are our letter. And not just as a plenary body. As individuals. As for you. You yourselves are a letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. Let me ask you a question. How many people do you think really read the Bible with great regularity? Uh, not very many. That, yeah, about, about that many right there. About that many. You are their story of the Bible. You are their knowledge of the Bible. Even people within the church who haven't yet come to the place where they're reading the Bible. Now, we want to make a radical difference in how many people read the Word of God. Because the Word of God is what transforms lives. But until that time, you are the letter. And what the church needs... Well, let me, let me go a little bit further. It's not just about displaying the characteristics of what the word says. It's about doing it in such a way that you give, that people give glory to, the, to your father in heaven. And they don't see you, they see what's in you. Now this is tricky because you gotta kind of be like the Lone Ranger, you know? I used to love to watch the Lone Ranger, you know? And, and, and Tonto and, and, and every time, every program, at the end of the thing, they'd turn around and thank him. He was gone. Nobody really knew who the Lone Ranger was. He was just there to do some good, then he was gone. That's who we need to be like because we don't want the credit to come here. I don't want the credit ever to go to Northland. I want the credit to go to Christ. I don't ever want the credit to go to me. I want the credit to go to Christ. And I know you're the same way. You're the same way. So here's, here's what scripture says. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way 
that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's why it keeps saying that, 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 um, um, that, we, uh, that that which we do will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Because that's where we want the credit to go. Eventually. Put up the second Peter or the first Peter passage. Uh, let's just get the, this, this, this is another admonition. I'll close, I'll, I'll, I'll close the passage with this. Live such good lives among the pagans. Now, could I just say this, by the way? Pagans aren't bad people. Quit trying to say bad stuff about people. Quit tearing everybody down. Pagans are doing the best they can. They're doing the best they know. All right? So people aren't inherently awful, evil, unless they assign themselves to that task. There's some perfectly good, clueless atheists who just don't know, you know, but they, they'd like to be good and they're very nice and so on and so forth. So, so don't, let, you know, don't, don't run them down. But, but know that you have a life among them and you will never gain an ear. You will never even gain respect for the Lord if you treat them with disrespect. If you try to put them down, if you try to cut them down, remember? So it says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of wrong, they may see your good day, de deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. So what are we, what are we going after here? All right, let me, let me kind of come down to it. We, we, we're going after this. Uh, Herman Edwards, who used to be the coach a long time ago of the um, Kansas City Chiefs, used to say, you know, we want people on this team who will play for the name on the side of the helmet instead of the name on the back of the jersey. You, you, you get that? We want people on this team who will play for the name on the side of the helmet rather than on the back of the jersey. The name, on the, the name on the side of the helmet is Jesus. <laughs> the name on the back of the jersey may be your own. But the point is, that's not why you're playing. You're not playing so that you can be a better person. You're not playing so that you can get more credit. You're not playing. You're playing so that Christ can be glorified. This is your team. But it's not your team. It's Jesus' team. It's God's team. And we need to remember that even when we are treating each other with respect, which we should, you know, Mother's Day for crying out loud. I mean, who can just bypass and just ignore what mothers have, you know, been to us and done in our lives? It's the right thing to do. But you got to understand this, you know, that there's an old Spanish proverb. Spanish proverb says, an ounce of mother is worth a ton of priest but is no substitute for God. You understand that? I hate, by the way, I hate the phrase, God made mothers because he couldn't be everywhere. What? That's terrible theology. God is everywhere. That's the definition of omnipresence. That's part of his characteristics. No, God is everywhere. That's why he made mothers, you know, because mothers couldn't be everywhere. Uh, but, but, but the point is this. The point is that not that we give mothers the credit. I, I remember this little story about this kid who's, who's in a, a play. 
and uh, he's like in first grade, and, and his mother just drilled him with this. He had one line. It's a, it's a church play. One line, you know. You know, I am the light of the world. That was, that was his only line. And of course, he gets in front of a, a, a group and just forgets it. Happens to me with great regularity with sermons, by the way. Um, and I just pray him in my head. Holy Spirit, come on, just show up. But, but he, so he forgot it. So, but his mom, right in the front row, you know? And so his mother's trying to whisper it to him so that he can remember it, so that no one else hears it. And she goes, I am the light of the world. He went, my mother is the light of the world. <laughs> See, that's not what we're trying to say today. We thank God for the light of the world for giving us our mothers. But the point is, the light of the world is the light of the world. That's why we're here. That's who we're for. And we are to have this huge impact on the world. Because the consensus is still being formed out there. You understand that, don't you? Martin Luther King Jr. used to say this. A leader doesn't seek consensus. A true leader molds consensus. And God is calling us into leadership. Let me read you the last verses of this passage and then I'll pray. These things, this is verse 15. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. You understand where your authority comes from? Your authority comes from God. Your authority didn't come from the world. Your authority comes from God. And it comes powerfully when you're living according to him. Now watch this. Let no one disregard you. God put you here to make a different world. To bust up hell. And we need to do that. Because there are a whole lot of bad examples out there and people are giving their lives to absolutely the wrong thing. We can make all the difference in the world. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for these words. Thank you for this passage that helps us get organized into a family that will be for this community and for this world what they need so badly. We haven't got it all together, but we're depending on you. And we are pointing them to you. We are not the answer, but you are the solution. So Lord, I would pray that anybody within the sound of my voice that has never given their lives to Jesus Christ, they've understood maybe who he was, but never given their lives to Jesus Christ. If they want to do that, let them pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I know when you died on the cross, you paid for my sins too. You canceled the punishment and the power of my sin. And you offer me the gift of salvation and new life. And I want to accept that gift right now. So come into my heart and live there. And make of my life whatever you want. And for those of us who have already said that, Lord, help us to keep giving our lives to you, our whole lives, 
not just our minds, not just our hearts, our whole lives, and make this a different world. We pray this, that you might take these words and apply them to our minds that we might not grow shallow and to our hearts that we might not grow cold and to our feet that we might be doers of the word and not hearers only. Amen. Hey, stand up. Here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you out of here just right on time. Mother pin a rose on me. Remember, remember that saying? All these Mother's Day sayings are coming back to you. <clears throat> remember, if you'd like to uh, go to the membership class, you don't need to join after you, after you go through, although I can't see why you wouldn't be dying to. Uh, but it's next Saturday from 8.30 to 12.30 in the rink. Uh, it's our Belong Seminar. Remember, uh, anti-human trafficking. We're mounting a huge effort to make a difference in Central Florida. You would be shocked at the amount of human trafficking that's happening right here in our community. And we need to be able to spot it and know what to do with it. And so uh, Thursday night, uh, we are having a, uh, uh, an event here starting at 6.30. Everybody come who can and, uh, and we'll, we'll teach you more. And uh, you can go to the hub and, and get uh, connected there for more information. Remember, we have a prayer team up here, as you do in every room. Uh, we have a prayer team up here. Those of you online um, have a, a prayer person online, a prayer minister online. Um, and so um, prayer is available. Now, let's go out and live the life that Jesus empowers and the one our mothers always hoped for us. Amen.